I'm moved every time I see that video. And I would ask you to keep those images in your mind because I'm going to be coming back to talk about this new venture that our churches are engaging with in these days. I listened last week to Pastor Doug's message and um, he called each of us to surrender. And today at the end of this message, I'm going to ask each of you what sacrifice will make that surrender real? What is the reality of that surrender? What sacrifice can each of us make so that the, the good news will get to the ends of the earth? It's so good to be back at Fourth City Church. I have vivid memories of being here, get this, 30 years ago. So it's been a while since I've been here, and I came at the end of my international uh, work before I came back to work in Canada. Um, so let me reintroduce myself today. I'm known as a woman of, of three passions. And the first passion um, are the millions in our world who through no fault of their own have never heard of Jesus. Now the teacher inside of me rises up because I'm gonna be talking this morning about unreached people groups. And the definition of an unreached people group, see I told you the teacher rises to the fore, the definition of an unreached people group, and we're not talking here about mission states, or um, we're talking here about, um, not talking nations, we're talking groups, ethnic groups of people. And so an unreached people group is a group where there are less than 2% of the population who are Christian. And because there's so few Christians within the group, they will never be able to establish a church. I mean, it is unlikely without help from the West. I'm so thankful to be part of a group that prioritizes, our denomination prioritizes the unreached people groups in the earth. Think back for a moment to what you saw in that video, which for security reasons, within the Christian Missionary Alliance, we will be referring to that as gateway. I'll explain in a minute. I suspect a few of you were probably here in, or not here, at First Alliance in Calgary in 2018, when as a body of churches, we spent a whole afternoon in, in a discernment process. And at the end of that afternoon, we, we unanimously agreed that God was calling us to get involved in Gateway. And this morning, I want to share a little bit of sensitive information, which if it fell into the wrong hands, could cause problems. And so you will understand my veiled language. I talked not long ago with one of our denominational leaders who had made a, a, a trip to Gateway. You're tracking with me, right? Our focus in Gateway now, we've had workers in the South for years, but our focus is in the North where extremists of the primary religion are calling the shots. And as this denominational leader was explaining to me what Gateway is like, he used three words. The first word he used is big. Remember you saw in the video, 1.9 billion people, 1.8 billion who have never heard of Jesus. 20 plus million, that's 
more than uh, the, that's almost like the population of Canada every 18 months. That's how many are added. By 2025, Gateway will be the largest country by population in the world. The second word he used was complex. Gateway is complex. 20,000, I'm sorry, 2,000 ethnic groups. Remember, I talked about an ethnic group as um, not a nation. It's a group that has a distinctive language and culture. It's the birthplace of Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, Sikhism. You've heard about the caste system with the Brahmins on the top and the Dalits on the bottom. And they tell us that all of those castes that we normally think of, seven I think there are, subdivide into as many as 25,000 subcastes. So it's a very complex place to work. The third word he used was massively poor. And by poor, we're referring to people who live on a dollar and a quarter a day. A third of the world's extreme poor live in Gateway. And because of its sheer size and complexity, Gateway is going to be a hard place for anyone whom God calls to work there. But our churches here in Canada have not been daunted by this challenge. Listen to what the vision of the CNMA is for the next 10 years. I put it in front of you on a, on a slide. The vision is to partner with national churches. Notice we're not coming in as colonialists, not in that part of the world anymore. We're coming in to partner, to plant 50,000 churches, reaching 500,000 baptized believers. And if each church adds just 10 more believers, we will have reached a million people. Eight months ago, a young couple from First Alliance in Calgary left to work in Gateway. I will call them Jerome and Morgan this morning. That's not their real names. They took their three young sons and flew to be the first on the ground people, living within reach of 2,000 unreached peoples. This is gonna be a hard place. I'm talking this morning about hard places. I'm a retired international worker now and when I was here last at Fort City Church, I was an international worker, and I remember being together with groups, and I was telling about our work behind the Iron Curtain in the underground church. And let me tell you, in 1980, Romania was a hard place. I've written a book about those years, and I, I hope you'll take one home with you this morning. I've got it here with me, and it's a book of stories, but also around the stories I've unpacked, what it, the, the issues behind those stories, what it's gonna take to bring the good news, the, good, the next generation bringing the good news to hard places. Jerome and Morgan live in many ways like, like I lived. When I was in Romania in those years, we sort of flew below the radar of the secret police. It's not unlike that in Gateway today because the Prime Minister of Gateway is out to destroy anyone in his country who doesn't follow the predominant national religion. Listen to the news through that perspective as you hear about Gateway in the news. There's one big difference between Romania and Gateway and that is that Gateway 
is technologically advanced. I know you know that. And that's why we are speaking with very veiled language this morning. The Prime Minister is asking nationals who live all over the world to join him in informing on groups like ours who have in their hearts to take the good news to the unreached people of Northern Gateway. Which leads me to talk about my second passion, which is the millions in our world who, through no fault of their own, suffer intensely today because they are known. They're willing to be known as followers of Jesus. I was born in southern China, just as the regime of Mao Zedong was coming to power. I'll tell you, I was born in 49, so you, you can do the math if you want. I'm 72. My family were house prisoners for the first couple years of my life. And then in a single day, Mao Zedong ordered a thousand missionaries to leave that country. And my family left with just the clothes on our back and hitchhiked our way across southern China. The church in China at that time entered an era of unprecedented suffering. And I grew up with this passion for the, for the suffering church. And in Gateway, Christians are persecuted. We don't hear a lot about it because Gateway tries to present itself to the world as a democratic, progressive nation. But it will perhaps surprise you that the Prime Minister of Gateway has a registered not-for-profit that is specifically training nationals to persecute Christians. And they've already trained a million people. I spent the best years of my life in the underground church during those difficult years of the communist era. It's now 35 years ago. Some of you knew me then, and when I, when I meet people who heard my stories, they were probably children back then, and often when they recognize me, they say, have you written a book yet? And that's why I'm here this morning to tell you that, that the book is available. Um, I meant to have a copy of it here, but there's one on the slide here. The book is about those years that I spent in Romania, because Romania has so much to teach us as we attempt, by the grace of God, to take the good news to places where life is very, very difficult because you're a Christian. I'm in touch with Jerome and Morgan almost daily, and I'm, um, I am amazed how much the life they live in this developing country is so like Romania in the 80s. Back then, the dictator Nicolae Ceausescu made life so difficult for the followers of Jesus. And during the last few years, when I, God put in my heart this vision to write a book about those years, I returned to Romania. I needed to validate whether my memories of those years behind the Iron Curtain were really as difficult for the church as I remembered. And everywhere I went and talked with pastors, they assured me that the 80s were probably the most difficult decade for the church in Romania. And so I tell people, as we think about Gateway, I tell them the easy places in the world have been reached. I'm not trying in any ways to minimize the hardships of present day international workers. But I do know that as Jerome and Morgan left to go eight months ago, 
we had sobering discussions and they had to deal with the reality that it could be that they will be asked to make the ultimate sacrifice, giving up their lives as many in Gateway are doing today. Which leads me today to talk with you about a very important command that Jesus Christ gave us. If you remember from Acts 1-8, as, as he stood on that Mount of Ascension, he said, you will be my witnesses. And then he said, where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. He said, you will be my witnesses. We don't know what language Jesus spoke for sure, but we know that these words were recorded in Greek. And the word for witness is martyrus, which is our English word martyr. So we might conclude that Jesus was saying, you will be my martyrs. We usually think of martyrs as a person, someone who gives their life for God's kingdom. But not every witness will die. I had the privilege in Romania of meeting uh, Richard Vormbrand, who some of you will know that name, suffered for many years in a Romanian prison. And he showed me in that one meeting that I had with him the, the, the scars on his body for, from his beatings during those years in prison for his faith. Richard Vormbrand redefined martyr for us. He said, a martyr is someone who sacrifices something important to further the kingdom of God. And I know that one thing is certain, those who respond to God's call in this 21st century to take the good news to hard places will be asked to sacrifice something very important. On, a recent, on that trip I told you that our denominational leaders made to Gateway, um, one of them asked a group of pastors, what are your, missionary, your um, ministry dreams? And immediately they said persecution. And he thought the translator hadn't gotten it quite right. He said, no, I said ministry dreams. And the pastor said, no, no, we believe that as persecution increases, revival will follow soon. Because we know that when things get more difficult, that's when the work of God really begins to take place. And it made me think of my friend, Pastor Mircha. His story is, is sprinkled all through the book that I have with me this morning. And I visited him while I was doing my research and he told me, he said, Miriam, there's something you don't know. Every time you visited us in the 80s, a day or two, almost like clockwork, after you would leave, I would hear that dreaded knock at the door and the secret police were standing outside the door and they would call me to, to headquarters and they wanted me to rat on you they wanted to know who you were and how did you get here and I wouldn't give them the information they wanted and so they began to beat me, usually on the bottoms of my feet until my feet were so swelled, so swollen that they would explode and then they would hand me my shoes and tell me to go home and I couldn't get my shoes on because my feet were so swollen and I had to walk home a, a, a kilometer on gravel pathways. That was happening in the 20th century, friends, and it continues to this day in many countries around the world. And over and over as I interviewed people, my former students for this book, 
I realized that many of them had sacrificed something very important for the sake of the kingdom. My third passion, and I have to mention this this morning, because it may involve some of you, might involve someone who's listening online this morning. My third passion is the next generation whom God is raising up to serve the church in international locations, in some of these hard places. As a retired international worker, this is my, my task in my retirement, is to see God raise up and to be a part of him raising up the next generation of people and who will go to the ends of the earth. And I was thinking and praying this morning of it may be that someone sitting here will feel that call, will sense that call this morning. And then I thought, what an honor if this church were to be a sending church as well and rise up behind that person and be a part of sending them to the ends of the earth. I'm not just talking about young people this morning, millennials and young adults. I'm talking about the next wave of, of witnesses. It may include professionals who sense that God is calling them to leave that profession early and maybe give some of their best years to the cause in an international context. Let me turn your, your thoughts to a passage of scripture very closely related to Acts 1-8 that we were just looking at. It's found in Luke chapter 10. Jesus is getting ready to send out his first international workers, um, knowing that they would go before him and prepare the way for the Son of God. Listen to the words that he used. Um, you know them so well. He says, the harvest is plentiful. You know that, you've heard that many, many times. He says, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. You've heard that many times. But usually we skip over the last sentence in this passage. Very unsettling words. Jesus says, go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. And then Christ begins to clarify. He, in that passage, he clarifies what he means, what, what, it, what it's gonna look like to be a lamb among the wolves, because the picture is one of the good shepherd. Remember, Jesus called himself the good shepherd. When he was speaking about himself, he said, I am the good shepherd. What good shepherd would throw helpless lambs, little lambs, into the middle of a pack of wolves? What are the chances of the lamb surviving, let alone converting the wolves? Most missions don't make this kind of requirement of people. Um, when Jesus called the, his disciples, he said to them, don't take an extra, even an extra bag with you because you're gonna have nothing to fall back on. So that helps me to understand what Jesus was doing when he, when he spoke these words. He was clarifying the kind of worker that he needed to get the good news into these difficult places like Palestine and Gateway in North Africa. This is a life of total dependence on, on God. It means letting go of everything. And I want to talk for a, a minute about what are some of the things we might have to let go of if God should call us to such, 
to lead us to such a calling. And the first thing that comes to my mind is the very thought of possessions or wealth. Jesus says, do not take a bag or sandals. Do not stop to talk along the way. And you're saying to yourself, that this is ludicrous. Not even an extra bag. I mean, where would you carry cash or a credit card for an emergency? And I picture these workers going out understanding that they had to rely on the Good Shepherd. I picture those first missionaries eating and drinking in the, in the homes of people in Palestine. And I, I know this by experience from the way the, the believers in Romania fed me. And I knew that they were feeding me out of rations, food rations in those days that were severely cut because they were followers of Jesus. And it was such an honor to sit at their tables. And I would tell them, as I consumed their food, I would tell them about people here in Canada. I knew people who, who sacrificed in order to contribute to the Global Advance Fund, which was the fund out of which I received my monthly stipend. I know some of you make commitments to support an IW. And maybe you don't even know where that money is going to come from regularly. I'm mentoring some of the next generation of international workers right now. And, and one of the things, well, we already heard about it this morning from Matt. One of the hardest things is raising support. And I've had long talks with these young people. And I've told them that, and I think Matt would agree with me, this is not a humiliating way to live. It's a humbling way, however. Because what it reminds me of is that this is not my work I'm talking about. This is our work. All of us are implicated in the call. So possessions, wealth is not the only thing we may have to give up. The second thing we may have to relinquish is our right to a respected uh, profession. When Jesus called his disciples, they were gainfully employed and he called them from that profession and so his call implicated their wives and families this is another form of relinquishment that god may call may ask his witnesses to let go of why would they do this because they knew as we know that without making this kind of sacrifice it is possible that unreached people groups today may never understand the good news of who Jesus is. I write about this in my book because I can remember when I would come on home assignments and someone would look at me and say, um, your winter coat is looking pretty bad. We, need, we want to take you out and buy you a coat. And as they would whip out their visa card to pay for my new winter coat to go back to Romania, I was struggling within myself. I was thinking, I have a very good education. I could earn my own way. But for some reason, God calls these who are called to this lifestyle to a life of dependence. Um, I, see, I see professionals all over Canada today beginning to realize that God may be calling them to let go of their profession in or, here in Canada in order to take that profession to another hard place in our world because it may be the only way that they get access to that country. 
There is a third thing we may have to relinquish, and that is the whole issue of security. What about relinquishing our right to a safe place? What a crazy world we live in. And I'm often asked by parents and by the outgoing workers themselves, is it safe? And I chuckle to myself and say, when is it ever safe to follow Christ? But that's not a very satisfying answer to, well, I think about the parents of Jerome and Morgan. I, I know that at their commissioning from First Alliance, there were many tears. And in their hearts, their parents were asking God, is this a safe place to send my son and daughter-in-law and their three young boys? And they wept. But a few weeks ago, ago I mentioned those tears to Jerome's mother. And she said, Miriam, they were good tears. I know they were tears of grief, but they were good tears. And I know that they have had to wrestle with this relinquishment as well. Some of the next team members to Gateway may be Canadians now. They emigrated from Gateway to Canada for a better life. And now God is calling them back, letting go of the safety and security. Jesus may also ask our witnesses to give up life, the life itself. And I go back to that passage I, I mentioned earlier. Jesus is speaking about li this lambs among wolves lifestyle. Early Christians knew what Jesus was talking about because apparently all but one, I think we, you saw it on a video last week in the message, all but one of the disciples died as martyrs. Jesus had called his followers to lay down their lives for their friends. And I really wrestle with this. I ask myself as I go from church to church, is this lambs among wolves lifestyle expected of every believer? Or is it only expected of those who go to far countries far, far away? Is this only for those who have what we call the missionary gift? Is it only for the IWs that we send overseas? And I want to suggest this morning, no. I think it is expected of anyone who sees themselves as having a role to play in this taking of the good news to hard places. For those of us who stay, like myself, now retired, maybe we're to become advocates um, for the next generation. When, when we sense God has laid his hand on, you know, tapped someone on the shoulder and said, you're one of those who's going to go. We become their advocates. I help them raise the funds. I helped Jerome and Morgan. I remember cringing it within myself a couple months ago as Jerome and Morgan tried to, were trying to raise some of their outgoing expenses. And Morgan had said to me, Miriam, you know so many people. I don't know anyone. And I said, I'll help you. And I thought about all the wealthy people I knew at First Alliance Church. And I wrote letters to as many as I could think of and invited them into helping to fund Jerome and Morgan to go. One in particular, I sent a letter to a, a retired dentist. And he called me as soon as he got my email. He said, just this morning I was asking God. I had some really good in returns on an investment. And God's 
spirit said to me, I wanted to go to mission. But I didn't know any outgoing missionaries, and he dug deep into his investments to help Jerome and Morgan. But for me, it was, I had to stick my neck out. <laughs> to, there was a certain sense that I entered into what Jerome and Morgan were going through. I don't know, I can't explain it to you, friends. Something happens when we willingly step into this lambs among lifestyle, lambs among wolves lifestyle. I don't know what it is. The first thing that I thought of as I was coming here today, thinking it gives the messenger, it gives me confidence. People used to ask me, aren't you afraid when you ride on those trains all over communist Romania? And I was rather surprised. I thought, you know, I don't think I am. Something happens when you willingly step out on behalf of, of God. The first thing that happens, it gives confidence. The second thing that often happens, that always happened with me, and I know it happens today, it, it gives authority to the message. And I feel like that as I step into places where I have to stick my neck out and, and try to challenge people to enter into what God is doing. I want to close with a story from Romania, one of the stories that didn't make it into the book. It's a story about Pastor Joseph, with whom I worked very closely. And in the late 60s, he was given permission, released to study in Oxford, and he got a PhD. And in the early 70s, he was ready to return. And his fellow students in England, they warned him that he would probably be arrested at the borders. And a friend said to him, Joseph, what chances do you have of successfully implementing your plans? And Joseph told me, he said, ah, I kind of smiled, thinking, chance of success? He said, I was just thinking about obedience. I hadn't thought about success. But he said, I did turn to God and say, and ask him about success. And God's answer was from this very passage that I have set before you this morning. He said, Joseph, I'm sending you out like a lamb among the wolves. Go totally defenseless without a reasonable chance of success. If you're willing to go like that, then go. If you're not willing to go in that position, then don't go. And Joseph said, he went back to Romania. And with a very sh within a very short time of his return, the harassments and, and arrests began again that every pastor who worked during the life of Nicolae Ceausescu knew about. And one day during interrogation, an officer threatened to kill him. He screamed at Joseph. He said, I have the power to kill you. And Joseph's response was, sir, your supreme weapon is killing. My supreme weapon is dying. You know that my messages are on cassette tapes. Remember, this was the 70s. My messages are on cassette tapes, and they're all over the country. And people, if you kill me, people will listen to the tapes, and they will say, I better listen to what this man said. He sprinkled his message with his blood. He said, go ahead, kill me. I win the supreme victory. Joseph said, he sent me home. For years, Joseph had been a cautious, low-keyed Christian because he wanted to survive. And now 
that he wanted to die, they wouldn't oblige. And this morning I'm asking myself and I'm inviting you to ask yourself the question that I have framed for this morning. Does, does the lambs among wolves lifestyle only apply to those who go or does it include all of us? Maybe the question that you can ponder and this is my final question to you. What can I relinquish to see the kingdom of God move forward into hard places and in our world, it's in hard places like Gateway. And at the next assembly, I think we'll be hearing about Turkey and other hard places where Christians pay a price to follow God. So I'm closing this morning with this question for you. What sacrifice is God asking me to make for the sake of the kingdom? For some of you, it will involve coming alongside someone else who is going to go. They will be our feet on the ground in these new ministries among unreached people groups. But in this final quiet moment, I want you to think back to last Sunday when your pastor called us all to think about surrender. And then ask yourself, what sacrifice does that surrender imply in my life? How can I get involved in what God is about to do in these very difficult places in our world? Can I pray for you as we finish? Lord, you call us to follow you. And we who care about the ends of the earth are burdened to see what you're going to do and we, in surrender, ask you how we can enter into the sacrifice, how we can be a part of what you are doing. Here in our Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, I pray for those who are within reach of my voice today that this question will impact them profoundly this morning. I pray in your name.